260 plan and the stuff that we read. There's so much in these pages that we've read. From idolatry and conforming to realizing kings weren't fo were following, were trying to follow God without his word. There's so much that pertains to today. We make idols of self, politics, things, other people, things other people say, sports, shows, entertainment, self, pride, etc. Where are we in the word? How's our time with God? My heart hurts because I see false gospels and idolatry, self-promotion and, and everything everywhere. We put everything before our identity in Christ. Choose with me today to be a Christian first, before anything else. That means loving God with all that we are. Faith produces fruit. We saw that in the life of Josiah. He brought back the word to kings, to the kingdom, to Judah. Let's pray for our country that we who are Christians choose to be that before anything else. That we choose to love Jesus more than our political party, our opinions, our pride, our jobs, businesses, our own families. As Christians, we should be the greatest example of loving God and loving our neighbors. Pray with me. Lord, Lord, search our heart. I pray for a world in turmoil. Help us to choose to love before anything else. And that this love will produce faith, which produces fruit. Oh Lord, you are truth. Help us rely on you. Help us love you with everything that we have. Help us seek you first in your righteousness, and all these things will be hand, added on to you, to us. Help us love one another so the world will know that we are your disciples. Help us love, truly love, not use love as an excuse to withhold truth or as an excuse to be arrogant and prideful. Help us love how you love. We only know love because you first loved us. Help us impact the world. Revive us in our homes. Help us teach our children to love. You are the answer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, TBA. It's so weird because it's like everybody's over here, you know, but I thank you guys for filling in some gaps over here. So what we're going to do is usually we do a meet and greet right here. So what I want you to do, now I know some of you, you're going to go against the rules in this, but I want you to stand up. So everybody stand up with me, and then you're going to air five, air fist bump, yell across the room a greeting. So look around you and do it right now. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. And you can even do a very presidential thing here apparently as well. That's awesome. Well, happy Father's Day, guys. I love Sherry. I love Sherry. She's like waving way over there. That's awesome. That was great. Well, happy Father's Day. It's great to be here with you all. Okay, so I'm the guy who throws 
children's vitamins across the room. Let's just keep it right there for right now. There's a saying that goes this, as the family goes, so goes the nation. But really, I think it's better said this, and Vody Bachman said this, he says, as the father goes, so goes the family. Men, you have considerable influence. Young men, you have considerable influence. It's no wonder that in the Bible, whenever Satan wants to destroy a nation, he always went after the male children. It's no wonder he tries to destroy fathers and families because fathers, you are the key. Young men, you are the key. Proverbs 27 says this, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Do you hear the legacy that is passed on in that verse? Well, back to that vitamin toss in days at the Stuyvesant household. You want to hear about it? It's morning, a stressful morning. Everybody's tired. First day of school, and Ellie and Jason refused to get these brand new children's vitamins that we got. So I, in pastoral fashion, in a picture of coolness, grace, and fatherly love, get mad and chuck the bottle all the way across the room. Now, I probably should have had some guilt and shame, but as I watched the vitamins go make a basket over there in our, our kitchen, you know, trash can, I was like, awesome. You know, it was like that moment. I, I just want to tell you how shallow it can get, okay? But have you ever been that guy? Maybe you punched a hole in the wall. Maybe you had to patch it up. Maybe there's a picture right now in front of it. See, in retrospect, it's funny. Grown man throws vitamins across the room, but it was an outburst of something deeper in me. It didn't help that after that outburst, I went into our room and there was this hanging on the wall that had been there for years and years and years. It's my resolution that I made as a son of God and as a husband and a father. I looked at this. And God used to say, that's who I want you to be. That's the man I want you to be, Brian. Remember it. And it wasn't a guilt thing. It was a get back on the right course moment. See, I want to share my resolution with you today. And I want to challenge you as young men. I want to challenge you as men, as fathers. It doesn't matter if you have kids, if you're even married yet. I hope this will settle in your heart about a resolution. So I just want to challenge you. As men, let's rise up and be resolute. So I'm just going to read it right now. I've got it up on the screen, some of it. It's not perfect. I'll just read some of this. I'm not going to explain everything on it. But my resolution is the son of God, husband, and father. The first is I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet. The most important thing we can do as men, sit at Jesus' feet. The second thing, I'm going to bring out the best in my wife. I'm going to study her. Men, we think we know our ladies. We think we know our wives. But we need to study her. We need to study them. I'm going to serve her. I'm going to make her the priority. Do I fail? Ask Jen. Yes, but I'm committed. My resolution that I will know her and I will serve her. The third is I'm going to be the priest of my home. I'm going to teach. I'm going to model. I'm going to worship. I'm going to lead and serve. If my kids are going to know about Jesus, it's going to be going to, because of me. That doesn't mean they won't have other influences. I want that. Because there comes a point where they may not listen to me. But I'm going to teach them about who Jesus is. The fourth thing is I'm going to have character goals for my children. So often we, we don't teach the heart of our kids. I fail at it at times, but my goal is to teach their hearts. The fifth is to manage myself and my household 
well. And at the bottom, I just say, I, Brian Stiverson, commit myself to the Lord to seek his face and follow him all the days of my life. I commit myself to my wife and family, and I resolve to let these ideals guide me. How many of you heard that word ideals before? Ideals. Ideals that guide. See, men, listen to this. Even if you don't have kids, you are this. You need to hear this. Men, we are to be a visual representation of a heavenly father to our children. Men of the church, you represent the heavenly father to the children in this church. Let that sink in a minute. It should sink in. It should hit us that we are a visual representation of our children's father in heaven. And while we'll fail at times, but we are called to the ultimate ideal. We are called to the ultimate ideal, which is to be like Jesus through the power of Holy Spirit. We are fallen yet redeemed. We are men in process, but we must strive to be committed to these ideals, to resolve to fight and be the man. Far too many men are satisfied with just being okay or getting by. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, it's a historical thing on William Wallace. And William Wallace has a cool quote that I like. He says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Men, we are thinking too small if we aren't aiming to be like Jesus. That's our ideal. See, a resolution that I read, it consists of ideals. And I love this quote. It has stayed with me forever. And I made this resolution a long time ago. But what are ideals? And I think this is a really cool way to paint the picture. Ideals are like stars. You will not succeed in touching them with your hands, but like the seafaring man on the ocean desert of waters, you choose them as your guides, and following them, you reach your destiny. See, sometimes ideals and goals are confused with each other. Goals are different from ideals. Goals are practical and measurable ways to reach my ideals. They are my action steps towards my ideal. God has used these ideals that I just read to you to remind me on my good and bad days of my commitment to my wife, my kids, and my church. While I fail often, I don't live in guilt or shame. I press on. If I'm a man of inaction, then my ideals are useless. You see, without words without actions are the assassins of ideals. If I don't take my ideas and make goals, I fall short. And many of you men are living in vagueness. Many of you are just walking through life randomly. But we fall short if we don't put it into action and, and get these things. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.14. He says, I press on towards the goal. Think about it. He's talking about I'm running a race. I'm running the race to win. And he says, I press on towards what? The goal to win the prize for which God it's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I have the goal in mind. It's ever before him. See, the problem with most men is there's no clarity in your walk with the Lord. You never go where he actually wants you to go because you're living in vagueness. Some of you need a resolution, ideals and goals in your life. God directed goals. God authored faith goals because you're drifting and it's vague and your wife and your children are paying the price. You need targets. You need aim. You need focus. A resolution is a God-authored way to get you where he wants you to go. Not where you want to go, but where he wants you to go. See, even Jesus had goals. In Luke 13, the Pharisees tell Jesus, 
go away, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus is like, you tell that fox, Herod, that I cast out demons today and I heal today and tomorrow and on the third day I reach my goal. Notice he said, go, it's time bound, three days. Another time they say to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you just stay in our town? It's not safe out there, don't go out there. He says, no, I have a goal. I have other towns that need to hear the good news. See, Jesus is focused. He's going somewhere. In Revelation, I love this verse. It says, they followed the lamb wherever he went. Jesus is going somewhere and he's asking us to follow him. Listen, you don't want to die and stand before God only to realize that your job and your hobbies had no eternal value but were more important to you than Christ's mission and it was more important to you than your kids and your wife. We need to align with heavenly goals as men, husbands and fathers. We can say we want to be godly fathers, but until we get really practical about it and submit our dreams and goals for heaven's dreams and goals, we will be aimless and unfulfilled. And many men are stuck there, and you don't have to be. See, a resolution helps us get somewhere. When Paul said that about running the race, right, and only one gets the prize, Paul says, only one gets the prize when I run this race. And it implies a competition, but it's not a competition with each other or other men in the body of Christ. But this is not a competition. It's to encourage a competition between a lesser version of yourself and who Jesus created you to be. See, men, you need to challenge the lesser version of yourself. In the King James Version, it's called the old man. In some Bible translations, it's called the sinful nature or the flesh. You need to challenge the flesh and the sinful nature and be who Christ created you to be. You're a new creation. If you're born again, you're a new creation. Men, we must challenge the lesser version of ourself. It's a competition to the man who you're really called to be, the destiny God has for you. Some of you men are beginning your journey. Listen to what I'm saying. Challenge it. Because listen, you don't want to live in regret and shame. And many of us, I've known it, many of us know that. Paul is saying my efforts are leading to something. Men, are you just logging in time? Step into God's plan for your life. Begin to set biblical goals. Make a resolution. God honoring and authored under his Holy Spirit. See, I know the talk of goals. Listen, I'm kind of a hippie, if you know me. When I, when I hear goals... I'm like, I want nothing to do with goals. God had to work on my heart to get there. And I know many of us here, and it almost sounds worldly or even unspiritual to some. But listen, you never arrive at your destination without a plan, right? Now, I like to do, you know, those who wonder aren't lost. Uh, you know, I kind of lived that before. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, if I'm going to Florida to Arizona without understanding what it takes to get there and what roads are the best roads to me, for me to get to my destination, I'm in trouble. Why do we expect as sons of God, husbands and fathers and young men to be any different? You need faith goals and a resolve to get there through Christ. So you can set goals because Jesus did, Paul did. And you can say you don't have goals, but you do. They may not be written down, but you're living them. It just may not be where you wanna go but you live in it. It's also possible to have goals that aren't authored by heaven and God detests those goals and hates them because they take you off course. God's goals for us propel us forward. The prophet Habakkuk said this, write down the vision so the one who reads it 
may run and hasten towards the goal. If you have vision and you set faith goals along the way, it moves you towards the vision. Listen, this isn't a call to embrace your vision for your life, but a call to embrace God's vision for your life. If you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, the Bible says you are not your own. And many men, you need to hear that. If you are born again, you've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. The Bible says you are not your own. See, many of us need to repent of believing we have the right to determine what we will or will not do for Christ. We are the lambs, and he himself is the goal. It's his righteousness, his mission. If God is with us in the process of forming the goal, he's in the process of fulfilling the goal, and he's using our failures, men. This is not a a guilt and condemnation message. God is even using our failures as part of the process. We sang about it. He's faithful to finish his good work in you. I'm not perfect, but my resolution gets my eyes back onto the perfect God who will help me. So how can we get there? Write out a resolution. It may sound silly to you, but write it out. Come up with a prayer list of dreams and goals. Ask him what some of his goals that you need for your life. What does he see for you? See, my first ideal I read was to sit at the feet of Jesus. The greatest thing you can do is cultivate a relationship with Christ. Men, the greatest thing you can give to your children is a relationship with Christ. Listen, I want Jennifer to love Jesus more than me, and she wants me to love Jesus more than her. Because if we do that, it works. Because we put Jesus first. The greatest thing you can give your family and your children is a relationship with Christ they see in you. Haggai is a little-known minor prophet, and God speaks through him to the people in a little book about building the temple, the house of God. In the New Testament, who is the temple and the house of God? Us. We are. So with that in mind, as I read this, I want you to, to think about that, that we're that temple, we're that house. It says this in Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in the purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Men, we have to give careful thought to our ways. See, they were putting everything else before God, and they are building their own house before his house. Much like men, we neglect our interior life. Much like we neglect our relationship with Christ. And God says, give careful thought to your ways. Get your heart right. Listen, remember, our children inherit good and bad things from us as dads. A father is to impart to his child identity, courage, security, discipline, and blessing. But we can't do that if Christ isn't first. Men, your children are a reflection of you. They are inheriting good and bad things from you. We are called to consider our ways The Bible says we have to cleanse ourselves of anything that contaminates our relationship with him. Listen to this in 2 Timothy. 
But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And I want to keep reading verse 22 because it's connected. It says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Men, you can be a vessel of honor or dishonor. But notice, we are responsible to keep the flesh under, to cleanse ourselves of anything that robs us of the goal of the calling heavenward. Here's why it's important, because lives depend on it. Sin can be inherited or passed along up to four generations. I want you to do this. Just hold up a four. Hold up a four. You put it down. You might have heard it this way. It's called generational sin. See, sin can be inherited or passed along up to four generations. The biblical concept of generational sin is that sin can stretch into four generations. But here's what's amazing. Here's the flip side of that. Obedience can also stretch into four generations. Generational sin is a biblical reality. But I want to be up front. Jesus paid the price to break the curse and the power of sin. So it doesn't have to be passed on from generation to generation. There's many of you that have inherited bad things. You've inherited bad things, but it can stop with you. There's hope in the blood of Jesus. So being Father's Day, I have to use a butterfly illustration because, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But I heard this the other day about monarch butterflies. Monarch butterflies have a goal. They go from Mexico all the way up to Canada. Now, I look at monarch butterflies, and it didn't look like they're getting past my house, let alone thousands and thousands of miles from Mexico all the way to Canada. But here's what's amazing. That first generation never reaches the goal. The monarch butterfly gets to its goal in four generations. It's a physical picture of the spiritual legacy we're leaving to the next generation. Men, is it sin and disobedience or is it obedience? Your life isn't just about you. See, we're trained as men to think that way. But it's about your children and your children's children and their children and the torch that you are passing to them, the legacy, whether good or bad. So you want to hear about my, the vitamin tossing days in the Syverson household? You heard about those. See, growing up, I watched my granddaddy, my dad, and my brother who's 10 years older pass along anger. All sweet, sweet men. You would never categorize them as angry at all. They weren't mad or grumpy or angry people. But they didn't know how to process anger, worry, or stress. They bottled it up. And listen, they were never abusive. But I also learned those traits. Recently, I had a moment of anger. I had to apologize to my kids and Jen. And it really brought me back to that resolution. In fact, I weeped over that resolution. You hear this, and it's true. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. We are called to consider our ways. Because sin only gets more intense the next generation. But you see, the blood of Jesus breaks the power of sin. Generational sin. We can stop the pattern, men. For me, it was having a talk with my kids about where my anger comes from and how I learned it, but also how it can stop with myself and Jason. 
It doesn't have to be passed along because the blood of Jesus has broken the generational curse. And you might be tired of me saying that, but it's important for you to hear. You don't have to be like your dad. The good or the bad. It's been broken by the power of Jesus. But we have to apply it. And men, it's not overnight. It may be a battle the rest of your life, but today is a call to engage in the battle and for some of you to re-engage because you've given up. Listen, we don't do it alone. You need brothers who you can ask for help. You need to find some trusted men to be accountable with. See, part of re-engaging in the battle is we forget to ask for help. In fact, our culture teaches us that we aren't allowed to ask for help as men because it shows weakness. We forget that we have brothers and fathers, young men in the same battle with lust, pride, and anger. And instead of going to our brothers, we're trying to do it by ourselves. I can work it out by myself and getting nowhere. Yet the Bible says when we are weak, we are strong. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, this seems to fly in the face of what our greatest strength is as men. Our self-determination, grit, power, aggressiveness. It's the way God created us. It's good things. You see, Jesus knows a secret, though. We can't be the generals of our God-given destiny without first submitting to the general. We can't be all he created us to be unless we first learn to bow, submit, and admit we are powerless without him. It's easier said than done, right? Listen, we aren't asking. We're not good at asking, right? That's us. We're not good for asking for help, and we've got to do it ourselves. It's ingrained in our culture that we're supposed to take care of business on our own without seeking assistance. You probably heard this. Get ready, you're going to be rocked. The most amazing thing you've ever heard. Ready? God helps those who help themselves. Amazing Bible verse, right? Problem, it can't be found in the Bible. But many men live this way. In fact, if it was in the Bible, it would say this. God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who stop in the midst of crisis, obstacles, and strongholds and ask their brothers to assist them. When we're helpless and we know it, we're open to receive the transforming help Jesus wants to give us. When we surrender, we find him there waiting to give us what we've been wanting all along, freedom. See, personal reform comes at a personal cost. We must die to ourselves. It's a plague right now of selfishness. We must die to ourselves. We are accountable to God, to how we live as men, husbands, and fathers. And some of you are living for the American dream, the good life. God didn't call you to the good life, but to the good fight. Men, fight the good fight of faith. I mentioned it earlier in Haggai, how the people didn't want to put God first or want to build the temple. In contrast, listen to King David's longing for God to be first and to build a house or a temple of for his presence. Psalm 132 says this, Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house. Or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a house, a temple. You see, David declared war on comfort, selfishness, and disobedience. He declared war until God's presence was back in the midst of his people. He had resolve. He didn't just have a dream, but plans, specific God-given details and goals, an ideal, a resolution. 
He declared war on inaction and on comfort. Men, for the sake of your children and of your future children and for this church, for the sake of your wife, you must declare war on inaction. When our children are inheriting our sins and selfish attitudes, that's a problem. I want to tell you there's no shortcuts in this. It won't be easy. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit daily. It's the call to prayer, fasting, humility, and action. It's writing out a resolution. It can be simple like mine. It's also refusing to let any area of your flesh rule you. It's surrendering your own will for God's will. David was consumed with seeing it done. Are we? See, I haven't been just talking about physical fathers, but the spiritual fathers and young men in this church who sit dormant and refuse to lead by example. Declare war on comfort and the spirit of this age and step into your role here at TBA. We call it something discipleship. And I want you to lift your hands four, right? Good, do it, let me see it, four. See, discipleship also stretches for good or bad into four generations. This is what the apostle Paul said to Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Hear those four generations in there? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. Men, are we consumed with seeing the Lord's work done, his will accomplished in our church and in our families, in the Great Commission? Who are you passing the torch to? Is it sin or is it disobedience? Who are you discipling? Listen, hear my heart. Because just like Mother's Day, Father's Day can be a tough day. It can be a tough day. I know many of you have been hurt by your fathers. And even if you had the best of dads, we still have things passed along to us that need to stop with us. As men, we are often looking for that missing father figure or rebelling and rejecting against it. But you have a heavenly father that wants to fill in the gap if you will let him. I know you look in the mirror and you feel completely inadequate to do what has been laid before you. But we have a mandate to lead men and we have a helper in Holy Spirit. I want you to watch this clip with me. As a law enforcement officer, I've seen firsthand the deep hurt and devastation that fatherlessness brings in a child's life. Our prisons are full of men and women who have lived recklessly after being abandoned by their fathers, wounded by the men who should have loved them the most. Many of these children now follow the same pattern of irresponsibility that their fathers did. While so many mothers have sacrificed to help their children survive, they were never intended to carry the weight alone. We thank God for them. But research is proving that a child also desperately needs a daddy. There's no way around this fact. As you know, earlier this year, my family endured the tragic loss of our nine-year-old daughter, Emily. Her death forced me to realize that not only had I not taken advantage of the priceless time I had with her, but that I did not truly understand how crucial 
my role was as a father to her and our son Dylan. Since her passing, I've asked God to show me through his word how to be the father that I need to be. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect and should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, We'll give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made you don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do. I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will, I will, I will. So today is not about guilt. It's not about condemnation. Listen, the greatest gift you can give your kids as dads is to be able to walk in and say, forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And I've had to do that many times. And there's some of you today that the devil has you in a hold, convinced that you have to be like your dad. It's not true. It's not true. You can forgive. You can be forgiven. That's what this is all about. 
It's simply us stepping up into our roles as men of God. I am imperfect. I fail often, but I'm striving to that goal and that calling of heavenward. Wherever you're at in the journey as men, whether your kids are out of your house, or whether you're starting off, if you're a young man, it doesn't matter. Seek Christ, seek Jesus. Listen, none of us men are worthy to be here if it wasn't for Jesus. He's our hope, he's our salvation, and he's your hope and your salvation right now. Whether you inherited the good, the bad, and the ugly from your dad, it doesn't matter because you have a heavenly father who loves you. And he's seeking you right now. He's seeking your heart. Don't be cold. You don't have to have some dramatic moment like the movie or whatever. But your moment before the Lord that you say, I'm dedicated to you, Lord. And I surrender all the good, the bad, and the ugly that I've inherited. And it stops with me by the blood of Jesus. All things are possible to him who believes. So just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to go before the Lord. Father, you've not meant this day to be about guilt and condemnation. Father, there's so many men living in guilt and shame and denial, so many men who are believing the lies of the enemy. Father, today has been about truth, about how you're the God who loves each one of us in here as men, and you knew our whole story, and you forgive us and you heal us, but Father, you're challenging us to grow up into Christ Jesus and to mature and to be the man. As Paul commanded Timothy, to be the man. Father, forgive me when I've been angry, when I've not represented you well. Forgive me, Father. Forgive all the, the fathers in the room who haven't represented you, their, their children's heavenly Father. Forgive us. Father, I pray that we would seek you with all our hearts. Give us an undivided heart as a church and as men of God and as leaders to lead our wives, to lead our children, to lead our church, Father. Give us resolve like David did to build your house. Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you young men in the name of Jesus because through Christ you have what it takes. None of us do on our own, but through Christ you have what it takes. It doesn't matter your history. God takes our history and he transforms it. God can transform your history. So as we worship him in spirit and truth, I just wanted you to challenge you. You may need to sit and pray a little bit. You may need to ask forgiveness. I don't know what it is, but just go to him. His arms are always open. His arms are always open. He doesn't chase his sons away. He doesn't chase us away. He doesn't chase you away. And he's forgiving and loving. Brandon said a word, it was meekness. Meekness is strength under control. And Jesus was gentle and meek. He wasn't a doormat, he was strong. Like we're supposed to be meek. So I bless you in the name of Jesus to rise up as men of leaders. Let's stand and worship.